welcome listeners to another episode of Drinking and Screaming, a new podcast we're doing about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And today we're releasing our episode early because Whoa. it's Halloween! The spookiest night. So of course we had to watch the original 1978 Halloween, the film that inspired many, many, many future slashers. <laughs> but first we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we created this drink to be... Uh, tastes like Halloween. Perfect. <laughs> also, please be warned that this audio will probably contain some sniffling, because I'm sick. Yeah, it doesn't help that I made a cream-based uh, drink today, so we're also going to... It might sound a bit phlegmy, so if we get... Ugh, I'm, I'm cutting that. <laughs> so if we have some, uh, some... If we sound a little bit stuffed up, then that'll be why. Yeah. Yeah. But this is great. I love this. Kelly, tell me about this. Uh, so I I feel like I've been doing a really simple cocktails recently, and that's because I've been building up my energy for this episode. Ah. This is probably the most pre-work I've done for a cocktail on the podcast. This thing has been waiting in our fridge for a while. Yeah, this is, uh, this is sat and lingered watching us from the shadows until today when it strikes. Um, I would say like my, the Rosemary's Baby one was probably like my most intricate, complex one. And this is probably the most I've prepared for one. So it's, I call it basic shape. Like a basic bitch? Yes. <laughs> Tell me why I could not possibly know as I drink literally out of a pumpkin. <laughs> so <laughs> literally, since, since it's the uh, the spooky fall month, uh, a lot of people are getting their pumpkin spice on, and I wanted to emphasize that with this drink made with pumpkin spiced infused vodka Holy that cow. I made myself. I'm um, proud of you. Thank you. I'm using the Mad Lab Viking vodka as my base. And I literally, so I've, I've done this before. I've made pumpkin spice ice cream before because I, I figured out like what the ingredients of pumpkin spice is. Yes. And I bought those ingredients and then I kind of like made my own with like ratios and stuff like that. Uh, so what I did is I infused a vodka with pumpkin spice mix for, I want to say this entire month it's been sitting in our fridge. At least a few weeks. Yeah. Because if you're going to infuse something... On your own, don't use like natural ingredients for too long because they kind of tend to go bad and then your vodka and or gin or whatever starts to taste stale. But since I was using like dry spices, I could basically infuse it for however long I wanted to. And you didn't just shove them in there. You had it in a little tea bag. Yeah, make make sure it's in a uh, local tea dispensary bag. And then I filtered it because I was also pretty annual. I literally put it through a, a coffee filter <laughs> to get rid of any... Uh, Extra spices. But it works. It made a smooth drink, my love. Yeah, it was pretty good. Plus, he rimmed the side with like a sugar cinnamon-ness. Yeah. So and there's a stick of cinnamon in it, too. It's very cinnamony. Which I works. I will say, oh, yeah, and it's also like a cream-based, so it's like supposed to be like a pumpkin spice coffee cream drink. But it's cold, not it's hot. It's cold, yeah. yeah. Pumpkin spice latte frap? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I will say... If anyone makes this at home, probably ease up a little bit on the cinnamon. I feel like my infusion is more like fireball than it is pumpkin spice. Maybe go a little bit more aggressive with the like the cloves and the nutmeg a bit. 
That's fair. Especially because you have cinnamon on the rim. Yeah. Remember that by the time you get to this point of the drink, you've already got like... A lot of cinnamon. Yeah, three components of cinnamon. So like, yeah, get a little bit aggressive with the nutmeg and the clove and the ginger. Just let them be strong vodka infusions. And then the cinnamon will... I mean, cinnamon's strong, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's not to say that this is poorly made right now. It's just cinnamony. It's very cinnamony. But I don't miss... I don't think it's too much cinnamon. I still like it the way it is. But mm. I can hear that you don't want it to be too cinnamony. Yeah. I think I'm going to try again and see what I can make. Because it, this drink just intrigues me. Because it is supposed to taste like pumpkin spice. but it, And I served yours in a literally hollowed it's out pumpkin. It's a pumpkin. Yeah. I'm drinking from a real pumpkin, <laughs> friends. A real live pumpkin. Well, it's dead now. Pumpkin. <laughs> it, li- <laughs> it lives as a mug. Um a little side thing. I've been planning on pranking the Super Hopped Up podcast by serving them pumpkin spice beer in hollowed out pumpkins. So this was good training to make pumpkin mugs. Good. Um, I'm glad. But yeah, I'm not disappointed in this drink. No, it's great. I like the the rim. It's very intriguing. Also too cinnamony. I just went real hard on the cinnamon. But you know what? Fuck it. Cinnamon's great. Yeah. 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 This week we watched Halloween, the 1978 version, which premiered on October 27th of that year. It's directed by John Carpenter and written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. (gasps) Fifteen years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, to kill again. Ooh. Do you want a early scaredy fact that isn't actually in the main scaredy fact? Sure. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were together during the making of this movie. Ah! Yeah. Not anymore. I have no idea. I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a passioned project of couples. Do you want the trailer? Heck yeah, I do. Give it to me. The one. The only. The classic. Halloween. Halloween night, a small American town, 15 years ago. Michael? Halloween. 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 The night he came home. But it's it does seem like it's like four different trailers in one. Yeah, that looked like a composition of a bunch of trailers, but apparently that was the official trailer. Uh, so I... I don't know if that was the... It could be the original, and it's just that people really sucked at making trailers back then. But why would it say Halloween every 20 seconds? It was either... That was either a compilation of a bunch of Halloween trailers, or back then they just thought people had low attention spans and didn't remember the name of the movie they were watching. Which I mean is true. But yeah, because I even looked, I wanted to find a teaser trailer and I couldn't find one. I could only find these ones. And they were all like two minutes and 45 seconds. So I mean, that reminded me of the fact that we were listening to the soundtrack while we were writing the doc for this. And the soundtrack is literally just clips of the movie with the parts that the music is playing. So it sounded like a radio drama a little bit, which is weird. Maybe they didn't have enough money to make things properly, I guess. I don't know about the budget of this movie, do you? I've got a fact later on. Well, then we'll just have to come back to that little tidbit. But yeah, that was an awful trailer. I hope you include the dad going, Michael? Michael? <laughs> so Halloween. Funny. It was almost as bad as the teacher voiceover in the that one scene from It Follows. 
Oh, yeah. Well, it's from in the movie Halloween, but it reminded us of the homage that It Follows made to Halloween. Yeah. Where she's like sitting in her class. I wonder if I could figure out a way to make our audio sound like ADR during sections of our podcast. Because it's just, it's the difference between picking up from like a studio mic and a boom mic, basically. Yeah. We need a boom mic to record our podcasts on. And it's also like really good ADR. The actors know... They can match the tone. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what really sticks out to me. But it also comes down to the setting of like, do you have the same room noise as the yeah. original set? Which is like impossible. Yeah. Especially because ADR recording always takes place in a studio surrounded by like carpets. Can you like re-inject room noise into an ADR? <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. Um, yeah, awful, awful trailer. Ter- Terrible. Also, why did it say the original, the classic Halloween? When it's the first one. I know. Did they think that their movie was already a classic when it came out? Or are they referring to the date, Halloween? Or is it supposed to be, this? It, that's another fact that I didn't get the right trailer. And it's I have no, one. not because a clue. I did, I tried my best, my friends. But the voice actor sounded like an old classic trailer voice actor. Yeah. So I don't, I don't fucking know. Well, are you ready for some thoughts? Yes, I am ready for some thoughts. I think mine might be pretty strong. I think it's mostly vodka in mine. Because you had to make another one? Did I make a... I think I made a pumpkin spice white Russian. (laughs) 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 Fuck. Eh, whatever. Uh, So my first one, my first point is Jamie Lee Curtis, the original Scream Queen. Forever looking like she's 30 years old. Because <laughs> uh, that's something that we pointed out a lot uh, during our latest watch through of this is that she doesn't look 15. Yeah, she's like, but she is. She's a teenager in this. But yeah. she hit a she hit an age where she was looked 30 and then just kind of <laughs> sat there even up until the latest Halloween. Yeah, now she's 60. Still looks 30. Still looks 30. Also, quick question. Do you know if Fright Nights has fireworks? Because I just saw fireworks coming from the direction of Fright Nights. It does not. So maybe, I mean, Vancouver just fucking loves shooting their their fireworks off year round. Yeah, they do. I mean, it is Halloween, so. That's true. It is. Well, not Halloween, yet, Halloween but almost. Today, when you're listening to this. It's but yeah, Halloween. like, if you look at Jamie Lee Curtis in the new one, she just kind of, she looks exactly the same with maybe a few more wrinkles and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that. She is, well, she's hands down better than the Friday the 13th final girl. She has such a believable performance up until when she actually fights Michael at the end. And she's like, oh, yeah, ah, ah, which they do make a joke in this movie of when the one of the girls is getting like strangled and it's like sex noises. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. Um, But then she does it at the end. And I'm like, no. And why does she leave the knife on the floor? That bothered me so much. Yeah, which because it is weird because Jamie Lee Curtis is, I mean, Laurie Stroud is like smart, she, but she, I guess she's like book smart and she's kind of a little bit crafty because she was talking about being a Girl Scout and stuff like that. Yeah, she would be a Girl Scout. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, like maybe it's this is her transition from being like book smart to street smart. Which we do know from the latest, latest Halloween movie. It's that she's a fucking like she's crazy. Crazy crafty. hermit. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, because she's a strong final girl. She manages to save herself, the two children that she's in charge of, and basically the whole town from Michael Myers. You're and welcome. Gets a, and gets a few good hits in, too. And then there's that moment when she's like running from him and she gets to one of her neighbor's houses and she's like, please. And you can see the neighbor like look out the window. Yeah. No, I don't and then want just any. 
literally turn off their lights. What the fuck? Yeah, that's pretty bad. She's like, that's a genuine screaming. Stupid sub suburban people just want to be like hidden up in their little houses. Their little ticker boxes. Which is what brings me to this point that I love to give out, which is I learned at a very young age, if you're ever actually in trouble in a neighborhood, you're not supposed to yell whatever the bad thing is that's happening, like murderer or whatever, or I'm going to be killed. You're supposed to yell fire. I wonder why that is. Uh, Because people want to help. People want to see a burning building, first of all, and they want to be heroic by fighting a fire. Yeah. I wonder if it's also that like a fire isn't going to attack you. Like, if you go to help somebody with a fire, the fire's not going to, like, jump out of the building and start attacking you. But yeah, exactly. I imagine people are going to be like, I don't want to deal with that. What if they look at me and start attacking me? Yeah, exactly. People don't actually want to help people. They just want to see cool shit. So yeah, they want to exactly. see the burning building. Say uh, kaiju. Scream that there's a kaiju <laughs> attacking your town, and somebody will come out, and they will help you. Yeah. My next point, which is a very silly throwaway point, but... Why does the kid want to carve a pumpkin on Halloween? Nobody has time to carve pumpkins on Halloween. Kids should be trick-or-treating for candy, which is my second thing of this point, that why don't the kids want to go trick-or-treating? I don't know. Maybe the parents took them earlier. I know in, like, when I lived in a small town, there was, like, the business trick-or-treating time, mm. which was, like, on Friday or whatever before Halloween. Oh, yeah, at, like, actual, like, malls or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. you would walk around ta- town, you would trick-or-treat and stuff like that. Um, and maybe the parents took the kids like regular trick or treating early as well because they wanted to do it. I guess so because it does. It is pretty dark when we get there, so maybe yeah. they already did it. Yeah, maybe they went earlier because those pe- parents clearly leave so they can just go fuck or something or go to like a business, like their company <laughs> yeah, Halloween party. party or something. Yeah. So yeah, maybe the kid got trick or treating all out of his system. Plus, there was a six-hour-long horror movie marathon, so ain't no way that kid's missing that. Hell yeah. Now, my next two points, my final points are very oh movie critique uh, connoisseur that I am. Oh, try being. Yes. So the first one I have is that this is another movie that we watched in my film analysis class Ooh. back in Sejep. And it goes really well with the point I was talking about uh, during our Ringu episode of how um, in a lot of American horror films, we are viewing the film through the killer's eyes. We are the male gaze. Yeah. Which in this film, in the opening, they like literally <laughs> nail it home. With literally like, first person. Let's put, let's make him pick up a mask and put the mask on. And then we see the eye holes. You get it? You are the killer. You get it? Do you want another early scaredy fact? Yes, I do. When you see the hands of child Michael, yeah. that's actually Deborah Hill because they couldn't get the kid for a lot of those shots. Ah. Yeah. Which is why... What the fact literally said, if you look at the hands, they're like very nicely manicured and well kept. Nice. Because it was a lady. Heh. It did look like a small hand, though, because I remember that moment. Women have small hands. Yeah, no, that's the point. That's <laughs> why I'm like, yeah, good idea. It's not like the big fat man hands from Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is cool. I remember when you were when we were watching Ringu and you said that I wanted to like think back to a lot of the movies that we had seen and analyze whether or not it's from the killer's point of view. And this one quite literally is from the killer's point of view. Even when he becomes an adult, there's a lot of like over the shoulder shots of him. It's a lot of like stalking the, uh, the high school students. Yeah. And like like, while he's stalking them, you hear him like panting. Like, yeah, (sighs) I mean, he's wearing a mask, so it is hard to breathe, but also it's like some, he's almost like a sexual urge he has of like that, Mm. that 
focus and that drive of hunting them down. And the ending shots of the town after he's been shot and runs away is literally there's him breathing over top of those. Because he's everywhere. We don't know where he is. Yeah. We don't know where we are. We are the true horror. Oh, no. And then my last point is that the score works really well with the mood and tone of this film. It's like really simple uh, and it's really eerie, which goes like this film. It's not convoluted. There's not a lot of twists and turns. No. You get what you get in a good way. I mean that like in an awesome way. And I also really love, my musical theater nerd is coming out of me, <laughs> that John Carpenter used uh, a 5-4 time signature. Ooh. So a regular song is like, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. But this one's one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, <laughs> four, five. Which, to like the average like Western audience member... They won't realize that's why, but it will make you feel like something is really weird about this music. Yeah, why? it's like Uncanny Valley kind of music. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was super cool. Apparently he learned that from his father. I think that was another fact as well. Because I recognize the 5-4 that you wrote down. Um, I don't know what his father did, but the fact just said he learned that from his father. Cool. The one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was going to, I actually was going to write this fact down until I, or point of view um but it's like you don't get too many horror movie tracks that are this iconic anymore yeah like a lot of horror movies have really good soundtracks and stuff like that i think child's play was a good example um but you look at some of the like netflix horror we watched like the ritual i couldn't even tell you what their theme song sounds like yeah um but i think the most recent modern iteration of like a horror track that i can remember is the stranger things track because Ugh. it is so simple, it's just like dun 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 dun, and it's to dun. make it more like eighties vibe. Yeah, which exactly. This is almost in the eighties, and like even I don't know something about that that genre of music is so simple yet effective and memorable. Yeah, I also like that it's because it's so simple. You can like cut it and like put it in such uh, short snippets or long yeah. snippets. It can come at any time, just like Mike Myers. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh, he could be anywhere, just like the music. <gasps> that's it. That's, for, that's it for me, folks. Nice. Very succinct. Thanks. Like Michael Myers. Huh. Dun. 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 Ding, 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 uh, ding, My first point is already going to be up my own ass. Um <laughs> But uh, for a movie like this that's, like, older and kind of uh, inexpensive to make, it's actually surprising how um, how much quality goes into, like, the camera work and stuff like that. Hmm. Which, I guess, like, if you're going to focus on anything and you're not going to focus on the killer being, like, super horrific or, like, CGI or animatronics or anything like that, like, yeah. focus on making the camera tell the story for you, which I really think is done effective. I have a couple examples, not just from, like, like the obvious iconic one is the first person at the beginning of the movie yeah. that like leads you through the house and yeah. stuff. Um, but stuff like f- the tracking of all of the teens and stuff walking around, like anytime you're in the car with Michael and it's like tracking people, it's very like well choreographed camera movements. Um, when they're following Lori and her friends, uh, there was one instance where I noticed that the cameraman literally tripped on what I think was like a root on the sidewalk or something like that. (laughs) But it's a lot of, it's like very good stalker-esque tracking of everybody. You know, Michael's human. Maybe he tripped on a root. 
That's true. <laughs> Maybe he did. Um, there's also like very iconic blocking in this movie. Like when Laurie goes into the closet, the shot of her like screaming in the corner and then the upshot, upshot, yeah, upshot of uh, Michael's hand like breaking yes, through. Yes, through the closet door. It makes, like I can imagine people watching that in, in the theater being like super tense because of the framing and because of yeah. the way that like she's made to look so small in the corner and like he's meant Huge. to be like just daunting and scary. Overpowering her, yep. Like, and then- Going back to the point of her being like really resourceful, it's like, what do you even do at that point? And she grabs the hanger, turns it into a knife, and stabs him in the eye with it. Like the eyeball. What a lucky shot. So crazy. Um, And my final camera related point is that uh, there's notably there was a shot when Annie uh, is going to pick up her boyfriend and she walks across the lawn, gets to her car, realizes that she forgot her keys, and then does a reverse shot of walking back across the lawn. Yeah. You thought that was hilarious. It was like, you didn't need to make that funny, but that editing was just like so like set up turn of whatever the unexpected result and then payoff of her being like, well, guess I got to walk across the lawn again. Just forgot my keys. Yeah. And it's just like stuff like that, that I feel makes it um, like it's an old movie, but it feels more modern because of the, the cool camera tricks that they did or nice. the cool like camera techniques that they did. Yeah. I could see that. I feel that. I feel like John Com- Carpenter has a good way of directing camera people because it's like a lot of John Carpenter's movies I feel like have really good camera work like thinking back to like the thing and stuff like that I can't wait until we watch that that's in the season Ooh, okay I'll shut up about it then yeah jeez jeez we're gonna take a moment to talk about our sponsors and socials this episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you through the generous support of Mad Labs Distillery, who donated the Viking vodka that we used in this week's cocktail. Thanks so much, Scott. You're the best. You truly are. And Our heart and soul. I think he's also agreed already to help us with season two, so... Spoilers! But yeah, there's going to be a lot more Mad Labs products on this show. Hell yeah, I'm going to infuse the fuck out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to everyone who nominated us for the Discover Pod Awards. We'll find out in November if we made it to the finalist round. Patrons, our second bonus episode is out now. It's all about Vancouver's Fright Nights. Fuck, that means I have to edit it. I told ya! Plus, if you need a bit more Halloween content in your day, you can also hear a bonus episode from us on Spooktember's feed, now called Holiday Spirit, including two full Halloween drink recipes made by me. this lady. It's me. That, that lady over there. And because it was a bonus episode on another podcast, there's the entire recipe there, so you can literally make it yeah, without you, being a patron. You don't have to be a patron. Whoa. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Drink and Scream, at Twitter at Drink underscore Scream. Email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate us on iTunes so that we can help new listeners find us. It would really, really, really help us out. For Discord, we're going to cozy on up with our partner, Super Hopped Up. So check out bit.ly slash hopped up discord. Join the conversation. I think my drink was very strong. You know when you get so drunk that your cheeks get kind of tender? Yes. And you're a little bit You're warm. already there? I didn't eat anything today. I don't, Kelly! I don't think. Why do you do this? <laughs> Second fact, I guess, is that I really like the dynamic between Loomis and Michael. Tell uh, me more. There was a point in the movie when 
uh, you brought up a question of like, what, how would this dynamic be different if it was a woman? Yeah. Because a lot of the time Loomis is like pitching his idea to people of authority and he's constantly being like cut Shut down. down. Yes. And he's like obsessed with Michael and he's this, he's this brainy know-how who's like researched this demon for like 15 years and I thought about it and I was like, that's true. It could be done by a woman, but I almost feel like it would be pseudosexual a little bit if it was a woman. Like it could be perceived just because it's like heteronormative. Man, yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like Rip. Sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. It's kind of like Ripley in Aliens, how she's like, nobody listens to her. <laughs> yeah. But there is like a degree of sexuality between the alien and Ripley hmm. in that the alien is super gross and creepy and has penises all over itself. And then Ripley's a lady. Like they do play yeah. with that dynamic of like this creature is chasing her for sexual reproductive means. But I feel like with Loomis and Michael, it's almost like a kind of like a father son or mentor mentee relationship. Yeah. He Where, definitely wanted to be a savior. Yeah, exactly. Like he wants to save the community from this monster that he knows so much about intimately. And he's both afraid and kind of like intrigued by Michael and like what he is that I think that keeping it like strictly like this man who has no life, like he doesn't have a wife. There's even a fact about uh, the actor refusing to do a scene where he calls his wife and kids because he thought it'd be more interesting if this character was like literally obsessed with Michael. That's cool. Um, Just this idea of like this old man almost, almost stalking Michael, I guess like so obsessed with Michael. He's becoming Michael through like ignoring everything else. I, just, I see that. Yeah, that's cool. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. And they wanted uh, John Carpenter, like specifically wanted like a dignified British actor to play this character to be more like I don't know, a, like add more authority to the role. I guess like yeah. something like that. I think I can't remember who it was. He wanted um, uh, Christopher Lee or something like that to play him. Anyways, he wanted like a old British actor to play. Yeah, him. Um, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Yeah, I just really like that dynamic. And like as that dynamic evolves throughout the series, I feel like Loomis gets a little bit more nuts as oh, things just, go. Oh, just a touch. Just a touch. That it's almost like as Michael's chasing Laurie, Loomis is chasing Michael and it's just this like cat chase or this dog chasing cat chasing bird Mouse, situation. Bird. Yeah. Yeah. I have a fact that I'm not too sure how much of our audience will care about. Yay! Cuz it's a gaming idea. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, there's a game called Dead by Daylight. I think we've talked about it before. Uh, yes, because, oh no, I talked about Friday the 13th. I don't know if we've talked about Dead by Daylight. All right. Well, there's a game called Dead by Daylight and it's basically you play as a killer, killing survivors or vice versa. Uh, and they recently added Michael Myers probably like a year ago, I think. Yeah. And he plays very unique in that other than like most of the killers are like chase down survivors, cut them down and then hang them on the hooks that you're supposed to do. Uh, Michael's all about like standing and watching people and like building his strength. You like literally have to play him as he's played in the movie to be successful. It's so cool. And this is the first time we've watched this movie after playing and watching how Michael plays in that game. That the like, the way that they translated this movie into gameplay is like so cool and so interesting to me. Yeah. They even have uh, Haddonfield level, like the city that they, that you are in the movie, you can play uh, there. So I specifically was watching the film trying to like (laughs) find points, elements of the town that are in there. I know they copy the uh, Strode Realty sign. I think they also have the Myers house as well. Yeah. With, and the, uh, 
the babysitter house with the actual jack-o'-lantern. I wouldn't be surprised if the specifically the um, asylum car is probably parked somewhere oh, on the street. Oh, yeah, that could be. But, uh, but, but yeah. Otherwise, it's, it's not as uh, accurate as like the Friday the 13th games. Yeah, were. it's still, still cool. Still got to be gameplay related. But um, yeah, like I mentioned so many times while we were watching the movie, like, oh, that's him building up his power. He's watching his obsession, but he's not attacking her yet until he's cleared everyone out. And it's literally like in the game, you have to kill everybody except for your obsession to be like the most powerful. And it's just such a cool trend. I love the like blend of gameplay and, and movie uh, references and shit like yeah. that. Yeah. You're such a nerd. I'm such a nerd. I love you. Just combining all of my nerddoms together. My final point, and probably the most intellectually stimulating one. Ooh, tell me. Boobs. <gasps> boobs! There are so many boobs in this movie. <laughs> it's true. There were many boobs. And as people who have been paying attention to the podcast know, that's very important to Shar and I's relationship with horror movies. Whenever we see boobs, we got to shout, boobs! <laughs> I th- sometimes peen, also. Sometimes, but it's more... More so boobs. More infrequent. Yeah, and also, yeah, you never see penises. I feel like Ari Aster is, like, really the main person that shows peen on camera true really a a visionary with the horror movies Ah. yeah there's there's quite a few boobs big boobs inverted nipples who is the big nipple big areolas giant nipples it's kind of i don't know if it's like disrespectful or whatnot but i'm pretty sure they never gave jamie lee curtis a bra in this movie they did when she was in her white blouse. Okay, in her final girl outfit. Yes, but in her like, I need to be a nerdy, like, uh, kind of rundown looking uh, nerd girl or whatever. She had like the green sweater on, and you can see distinct, like, meaty area <laughs> sticking out of her <laughs> her sweater. Yeah, and you and mentioned like, oh, they hang so low, that which looks- like I'm all to. You can you don't have to wear bras. Bras are a con- construct of modern society, and they ruin your breast tissue. And you technically should never wear a bra, but also, ew. Also, her like <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't your back hurt if you don't wear a bra? Yeah, uh, I mean when you have big boobs like Jamie Lee Curtis and I. Yeah. You also mentioned the sister in the beginning who Michael killed had very she had huge boobs. Giant. And I mean, that was her only role in the movie was to be topless and get stabbed. So maybe they found specifically an actress who had giant boobs. Yeah. But there's, I like the, the wide variety of boobs that we have in this film. Because mm-hmm. there's also some very itty bitties. Yeah. The, the blonde girl. Another quick, I'm just, I'm just going to start littering in facts of things that I remember. <laughs> uh, the actress who played the blonde girl. Uh, the one that hits the orgasm death? Yes. She was in the screening of this movie, watching like with a bunch of normal people. Yeah. And uh, they didn't know she was there. And when she like opens up her shirt and says, like, see anything you like, someone in front of her screamed, you know it, baby. And she thought that was endearing. And then her boyfriend was there at the time. And he's like, do you want me to confront him? And she's like, no, I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Also, that would be dumb to confront. That's a silly thing. Yeah. Hey, by the way, my girlfriend who's in that movie is here, and you liked her boobs? How dare you? <laughs> you appreciated her body? <laughs> well, he did it in cut. Sounds like he did it in a very demeaning way, but... Yeah. Whatever. I feel like teen audience... Teen, on, teen audiences watching horror movies are always shitty, and we learned that from It Chapter 2. Oof. Yeah. We don't need to travel down that road again. I can't believe we talked so much about boobs. I, I literally was just going to say boobs. <laughs> Do you want some actual facts in the segment that we call Scaredy Facts? 
Yes, I do. Please tell me. I think I'm finally into it. You have to tell a story. So, Char and I, every time we watch horror movies, we will jump on IMDb, and we will go to the trivia section, and we will lie in bed with our kitty, and we will read trivia facts. And then Char will fall asleep about two facts in. Hey, so not we've in- two facts in. Three facts in. So we've integrated <laughs> that into our podcast, where we will read facts for you, hopefully while you're lying in bed with your kitty. Wee. Yeah. Meow. Buddy. Oh, that's something I should have mentioned. Buddy was definitely into this drink. That is an important factor in, in the drink's quality. I think I got to put that on for the like physical cocktail book. I got to put like Buddy approved on the ones that he really, really loved. How many paws drink. did this get? <laughs> so my first fact, like you said, is about the budget. Yes. Tell me. I want to know. So the movie cost $300,000 to make. And I will amend that fact because it actually cost three hundred and twenty-five thousand because the twenty-five thousand went to the actor who played Doctor Loomis. Oh, because uh, he was—it was like extra, not in the budget. Yeah, so I think the investor added twenty-five thousand dollars because they wanted this actor specifically. Okay. Um, and at its time, it made forty-seven million at the box office. So to account for inflation in twenty nineteen, that's about one million dollars to make. And $170 million grossed. Woo! Which makes it uh, one of the most successful independent films of its time. Yeah, that's crazy. It's technically independent because, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy that we see in all of the openings for Halloween. John Carpenter? No, the, anyways, the investor basically independently financed this movie, not through like, MGM or Fox or anything like that. Right. So it is technically an independent film, even though it's got John Carpenter and a bunch of really big names in it. Huh. Yeah. So it is uh, It's quite successful. Woo! My second fact is that Deborah Hill actually wrote most of the dialogue for the female characters, while John Carpenter concentrated on Dr. Loomis's speeches. Hey, so that's they, awesome! Yeah, they actually had a woman writing the female characters. No wonder the ladies weren't all fucking wooden cardboard bitches yeah and actually good actresses (laughs) my third fact is the a lot of people think that this movie is about like like purity and the moralistic whatever bullshit and john carpenter dismisses that notion he says that people have completely missed the point he explains that the one girl who is the most sexually uptight just keeps stabbing the guy with a long knife She's the most sexually frustrated. She's the one that kills him, not because she's a virgin, but because all the sexual repressed energy starts coming out. Uh, And she uses all these phallic symbols against the guy. So the movie's not saying that if you're a virgin, you're going to be super cool. It's basically saying fuck, or you're going to have a lot of sexual repression. (laughs) It's actually like relatively sex positive. Like these women all die. I wouldn't say that. I think... He's allowed to say that his movie has been misinterpreted from what he wanted, but literally everyone that's fucking gets murdered. That's true. I think the idea was that they are being, like, as teens, they're being distracted because they're having sex, which is yeah. fair to say. But we have, like, long lingering shots of Michael staring at his sister who has just banged, and then he, like, stabs her multiple times. And then that whole, like, choking scene with the phone cord, and she's like orgasm sounding while she's dying. I'll, sure, John Carpenter, sure. I guess, yeah, you're right. I think those parts definitely are (laughs) are for the male gaze, but I do like the idea that maybe it carries forward in the later later ones is more than it did in this one, 
But I do like the idea of it's like she didn't win because she was a virgin. She just needed to get something out. Yeah. Well, because we also do know like if it was totally moral based, she did smoke a doobie. She did. And most times in horror movies, when someone smokes up, they do get killed. Yeah. Because of morals. Because of morals. Because God is killing you. Yeah. Uh, my, I believe, fourth point is that uh, the audio of the bullies telling Tommy, quote, he's going to get you. The boogeyman is coming is actually sampled in the beginning of White Zombie's cover of I'm Your Boogeyman, uh, which is Rob Zombie's old band before becoming Rob Zombie, I guess. And he would go on to later direct two of the worst movies I've ever watched. Sorry, uh, the the fact says direct Halloween 2007 and Halloween 2 uh, 2009, but I think that was a typo. (laughs) It was supposed to say two of the worst Halloween movies and never watch those because they're awful. Yeah. I think... IMDb should correct that. I mean, as we go through this podcast, eventually we are going to have to watch those. Yeah, we should change that so people don't get confused. Because he didn't direct good Halloween movies. He directed (laughs) garbage that should be thrown into a trash. And lit on fire. Lit on fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely a typo. Yeah. (laughs) My sixth? Why not? I got a lot of trivia. I really like the trivia of this movie, so... (laughs) This is going to be a long section. Well, that's the best part about doing the really classic films. I love the amount of trivia that we get to know. Exactly. The film actually taking place in one night was mostly a budgetary decision. I see a theme. Uh, it's meant uh, so that they could save money on costumes since everyone just wore the same thing. Also, everyone came in their own clothes. Hey! I th- so wait, Jamie Lee Curtis, did you just not come with a bra that day, honey? Maybe she didn't. <laughs> It's the times. It was the seventies, but oof. Um, she's what is? There's a fact about her like going to J.C. Penney or something like that to get her clothes. I don't know what that is relevant to, but yeah, everyone just kind of showed <laughs> up with their own fucking clothes to save money, which is totally a thing that still happens today. Uh, yeah, I it's. I feel like horror movies are very under budgeted, under bud, underfunded. I yeah. guess, and a lot of horror movies are like passion projects, so it's very hard to like pitch them. An amendum to this trivia is that the reason that the movie's actually so dark is because the crew couldn't afford more lights. <laughs> so, like... Nice. It, this movie just kind of happened, and, like, John Carpenter had to, like, fucking punch his way through all of the uh, all the roadblocks. Uh, trivia 7 or something. Originally, Dr. Loomis uh, was supposed to have... Oh, I said this one. He was supposed to call his wife... But the actor literally said, don't do that. He should have no family or past. Yeah. Which, like, that really puts a lot of power in that actor. Like, a lot of the things that I read is that he basically could, he would listen to John Carpenter's point of view and then just kind of tell him what was the right thing to do. Well, so I do feel like movies that have that actual give and take between the actors, the writers, and the directors really... Uh, achieve a higher level than just everyone being so like pyramid split levels. That's true. I hope there was like like an the ex- office. That's true. Like the office. I hope there was like an exchange of information in that means and not just like I have to listen to whatever this actor tells me because he's so expensive and comes with a lot of clout. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cause maybe he only wanted blue M and M's in his dressing room too. Maybe. Oof. He also in the scene where he looks down at Michael on the uh, where he was shot and sees that he's not there anymore. The script originally called for him to be shocked, but he said, I feel like this character would be like, I fucking knew it. Yeah, and that's, for sure. That's the one they used. Eight, I think. The <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been sure for a while. 
So you mentioned while we were watching the movie that it was weird that Michael knew how to drive a car. Yeah. Because he's been in an insane asylum for 15 years. Yeah. So there's actually a novelization of the first movie. Okay. That, that came up with a simple but effective explanation as to why he knew how to drive. When Dr. Loomis drove Michael to sanity hearings, which I guess that's a thing, over the years, Michael simply watched very closely uh, as Dr. Loomis operated the car. Well, yeah, because he would have been arrested and put on trial. Yeah. He's in the insane asylum because... He's like criminally insane. Yeah, he's criminally insane, exactly. So... That makes sense. I could see that because he is so focused and like driven. Yeah. (laughs) Ha, driven. And he's very good at like just... Come on, my pun. I got got him. (laughs) It was very good. (laughs) But yeah, he's like... He's all about stalking and watching. Like he could just sit there and watch over Loomis's shoulder and Dr. Loomis would have no clue why he's doing that. Yeah. Um, so there you go. That's why he knows how to drive. Number, I want to say nine. Um, <laughs> and this is my final one. So did you save best for last? No, I saved probably the worst for last. Oh, great. So this makes John Carpenter, John Carpenter seem a little bit bad, but so he considered the hiring of Jamie Lee Curtis as an ultimate tribute to Alfred Hitchcock. Oh no. Which now we know Alfred Hitchcock is a shithead. I don't know what they thought of him in 78. So, but uh, Alfred. It's only 18 years later that this movie came out from Psycho. That's true. So Alfred Hitchcock actually gave Jamie Lee Curtis's mom the lead role of Psycho, Janet Lee. So John Carpenter gave Jamie Lee Curtis the lead role in Halloween as like a tribute to Alfred Hitchcock. That's yeah that's fine because i think when we watched psycho we said that jamie lee was the mother of uh or janet lee was the mother of jamie lee curtis yeah which is like ugh, why couldn't my parents be actors yeah why couldn't your mom be fucking famous damn it my life is so much harder yeah nepotism i need it liberalism all that shit whatever Uh, but i mean she's gone on to become the best the best the betterest the better the greatest (laughs) scream queen wow why can't i talk the greatest scream queen of all time so exactly even in the tv show scream queen (laughs) um she also became i would say arguably more successful than her mother she was in freaky friday okay nothing tops that that's true with give me a sec Lindsay Lohan. Okay, because I, I fucked that up last time we mentioned Freaky Friday. <laughs> I think I said, like, Hannah Montana or something stupid. That's not right. I didn't say that. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that's the trivias. Do you want my final thoughts? Yeah. So, thinking of all the facts that I've just told you about this movie, my final thought is that some of these facts actually make me think that, like, horror movie directors are, like, very adaptive and like the creation of horror movies revolves around how fucking adaptive you have to be. And I don't know if that's because there's like not that much riding on the line, especially for this one where it was like independently funded, uh, like didn't have whatever uh, bunch of movies behind it, uh, or because it's more of a passion project. Like the directors really want this to work. So like anytime a hurdle comes up, they're willing to like deviate away from it or whatever. Yeah. But like a lot of these decisions seem to be based on like limitations or snap judgments. Like the actor thinks that this scene would be better if they played it this way. Or like we don't have lights. So the movie's now dark or we don't have a budget for costumes. So everyone brings their own goddamn clothes. For sure. Or another fact, we can't find pumpkins because we're filming this in spring. (laughs) Like. Did they have to make pumpkins? They found a couple pumpkins and then just moved them around a lot. Nice. Uh. 
or like it's not we're in California in spring. There are no brown leaves. Let's cut some pieces of paper and paint them brown. I'm surprised you didn't bring up the when the actor who was playing the shape asked John Carpenter, like, what's my motivation for this? Scene? Oh, yeah, that one was so great. And he's literally just like, you're going to walk from this marker to that marker because he wanted the shape to feel like singularly motivated or not motivated. Like he literally his goal right now is walk there. Like it's just it's it. I don't it's so baffling to me how these movies get made and how they become so successful. And it's kind of like why I I tend to always gravitate towards the first movie of a series. Like I feel like every time we watch an entire series through, I always just like tell you I like the first one the most. Yeah. And it's because there's like they're not tied down by like the expectations of like, oh, Friday the 13th one was so great. The next fucking 180 of them have to be amazing. It's like very motivating and very like, I don't know, inspiring to think that like the director just had an idea and did it and they could change whatever the fuck they wanted while they were making the movie because things happen and they didn't have to worry about continuity or anything like that to the rest of the series. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's my final thought about Halloween. Nice. Are you ready for my final thought? I am. Yes. I feel like I've been talking a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a classic film, obviously, but it's one of the classics that I really like. I know that I'm going to come back to this for years to come, which is funny because I only really saw it, I think, for the first time like two years ago Mm. with you. Yes. When we started our foyer into horror series. Yeah. I think we watched Friday the 13th series first, and then we watched the Halloweens. Or maybe it was the other... No, I feel like we watched Friday the 13th first. Yeah, and then it was the Halloweens, yeah. Uh, But it's even better at this time of year to, like... It's such a reason to just watch it again is because Halloween comes every year. So you just gotta. (laughs) Um, But it makes me wonder which series I prefer more. Ooh. The Halloween series or the Friday the 13th? Because, like, the opposite of what you said... When I'm looking at the series as a whole, I mean, obviously, the first are the great ones. But then also, it's so great to start looking down that tunnel uh, of where they end up <laughs> at the end of these series, and which is, it's a never-ending story huh? mm. um, of where they go and how crazy, of how unreal they become at the end, um, with, like, faces being frozen and shattered and... <laughs> Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, like, becoming a hermit and shoot, shoot, shooting everywhere. Or the haunted house where they've recreated the murders of Michael Myers. Oh, yeah, that one's better. Because actually the latest Halloween wasn't that kooky. It was actually really awesome. Yeah, that was fucking dope. Um, But yeah, it's so great. I'm just, I'm happy. I'm glad that we got to finish off our Halloween vibes series by watching the good old original Halloween. So do you actually have an answer to which one you like more? Or are we going to have to wait? We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. We can live it as we, as each movie comes up. I'll probably be like, yeah, now no, this one is my favorite. No, wait, this one is my favorite. I'm going to go back and forth. Just like, oh, man, I I love uh, Halloween 3, but oh, man, Jason goes to hell. So good. So radical. Oh, man, <laughs> Halloween H2O is garbage, but so is Jason versus Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer either. I'm not too sure which one I like more because they both have garbage and quality in them. Well, that's been Halloween, a movie about the ultimate Halloween vibes and the conclusion to our month of Halloween vibe movies. Woo! Next week we'll be watching our patron-voted horror. Drum roll, please. <laughs> 
Silent Jenna. Hill. Yay. Oh, I screwed it up. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Very on par for our podcast. But this one was actually a real nail biter. We just before recording this episode got our final answer on the poll. If you want to have a say uh, on what we watch, go to patreon.com slash drink and scream. I'm excited because Silent Hill is a video game movie, so I can even nerd out more so in that one. You know what that means? We got to have an extra special guest join us from Super Hopped Up. <gasps> is it me? No, it's also someone else. Oh, there's someone else from Super Hopped Up? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Golly gee. Oh, man. And remember, always scream responsibly. Dun. 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 Bye. Dun. 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 Dun.